The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. There's no video this morning, so everybody says, uh, but what happened was uh, I didn't finish. My plans were to finish our spring training today. And uh, if, if you watch baseball, you know spring training's over and we're into the games now. And But I actually have one more week after today, and we're going to finish this up, and we're still in our series. We're in 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and we're talking about developing our position, and we looked last uh, week before last at Nolan Ryan and kind of how through his career and even uh, into his uh, late 40s, he was still... Uh, very effective, uh, and the reason being is he spent uh, his career and before his career and even still today uh, developing uh, his strategy and developing his position and and staying fit for the, the, the duty that he had, and that was to pitch. And for us as Christians, uh, John, and he's writing the church, and he's uh, he's encouraging the church, and part of what he talks about is he encourages the church this morning. He talks about the word of life. He talks about walking in the world, uh, walking in the light, and uh, this morning he's talking about the world and the things around the world, and he's talking about growing as Christians. And uh, we talked a little bit week before last about uh, babes in Christ and how that would be tra- uh, tragedy to, to, to be a babe and never grow, and, and spiritually that's true for us also. So if you would, in First John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12, and John says this, I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. Well, right there is what we talked about week before last. That statement right there should bring us joy, and today when we read that, And thinking back on what we've seen over the past several weeks, John wants us to understand, and he wanted the church to understand, that our sins are forgiven. And not only are our sins are forgiven, the sins from our past, the sins today, and the sins of the future, they've been forgiven. And and when we sin, we have an advocate. We have one who goes before the Father and says, you know, I've paid the price for those sins. And as he teaches these things, and Paul dealt with this also, If we get in the mindset, well, my sins are forgiven, so it doesn't matter how I live, Paul says, certainly that's not the case. And if we are born-again Christians, then when we sin, we should have a conviction of that sin, and we should do what John says in 1 John here, verse 9, confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So as Christians, we're still going to sin. And John says, but we need to understand that our sins are already forgiven, We go and we confess, we go and we are cleansed, but as far as our salvation, when we are born-again Christians, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. So he's telling this church here, because your sins have been forgiven on the count of Jesus' name, I write you. These are the reasons I'm telling you these things. Fathers, because you have known him, from the, who is from the beginning. And I write you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And I write you dear children because you have known the Father. And I write you fathers because you have known him who he is from the beginning. 
Excuse me, and I write you young men because you are strong in the word of God and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And we talked a little bit about this. Remember, he, he's writing uh, three groups of people and we don't have time to go into all of those things, but I believe there's three different spiritual groups he's talking to here. He's talking to the little children, the babes in Christ that have just came to know Christ. He's talking about the younger people that not, not age has nothing to do with this. Those Christians who have, who have kind of, they've been saved a while and, and their theology is pretty good and they're still growing. And then he's writing to the fathers and again that's not uh that doesn't mean men it's talking about men and women who have who have grown to that part spiritually in their lives that they realize that it's really all about god and as he writes these things kind of to summarize he says to the new believers i want to remind you your sins are forgiven and you know god for us today, we need to remember that, that God has forgiven all of our sins and that our Heavenly Father, He is the foundation of our spiritual life. He wants us to understand that. To those growing believers, you're, you're learning to live in, vic- in victory over temptations. Those are those, uh, those that kind of those adolescent Christians and, and those who are still growing. And, and He's saying continue to take God's Word and continue to grow. And then for those mature believers, he said you've come to the point of of your walk spiritually that you understand that it's simply knowing God and knowing God in a a deeper fashion. And, And so John is reminding us, because our sins are forgiven, don't forget to grow. Don't just be satisfied with a, the status quo, but, but, but continue to grow. And then as he, as he reminds us of those things, remembering to grow, he, he begins to list some things that, that he says, I want to remind you about this too. And this is the second point, and this is where we're going to start this morning. This is verse 15 and 16. He says, we need to resist the lure of the world. And, and he's kind of given us an idea of how we grow and how we continue, can continue to grow. So he says, he says think about the, the lure of the world. And, and I want you this morning to think about the, the influence that our, that our modern media has over the world. I mean, it, it bombards believers today, probably more so than any time in history in the United States, are believers being bombarded by the media, by, by the worldly system. And, and what's under the, the, the discussion of worldliness? When we begin to think that, I think the problem is worldliness has been defined in unbiblical ways a lot of times. I think people, they begin to, to, to think about what worldliness is, and we get all kinds of ideals about politics and being involved in politics, even to the point of, of sending kids to public schools, and, and is that worldliness or is it not worldliness? And, and all of those different things are, are defined as worldliness, but uh, at one time or another, Christians, I don't think, really understood that. And what I want us to do this morning is, is really look at the, the definitions of, of what worldliness is. And as, as John writes this thing, he talks about the lure of the world, and then he, he begins to, to give a word of exhortation, a, a word of explanation, a word of encouragement. And he begins with this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Well, if we read that, that that's, a, that's a verb, it's, it's a present tense, and it could be translated like this, uh, stop loving the world, or it could be translated, don't go on loving the world. But when we read this, how is it that John 3.16 says God loved the world? 
And, and we, we look at that and, and we're challenged not to love the world, cosmos, that word, that we're not to love this world. So when we begin to look at that, the, the answer is found in that word world and it has three different meanings. So many times when we're in scripture, we realize that there's, there's multiple meanings to certain words in, in, in the scripture. So, so sometimes when the, the world is referred to like Acts 17.24, it means the physical world, the earth. And in Acts 17, 24, it says that God made the world and everything in it. And, and when we read that, that sense of the word, the, that word Christians, we're to be thankful for the world that we have, the world that God created and the world that he created everything in it. And we're to take care of that gift that God has given us, the world. The, the second meaning is, is the world of humans or mankind. And when we read John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world. Mankind, humans, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So, so we're commanded to love people. We're commanded to, to love the world of people. And obviously loving people is not what John's talking about when he says don't love the world or anything in it. He's not talking about God's creation. He's not saying we shouldn't love God's creation and the gift that he's given us in the world. He's certainly not talking about loving people. And so, so when we see this word here, it's the, it's the third meaning that John's talking about. And that word that he says here is, is a worldly system. And, and the word that, that he's talking about, we use the same sense when we say the, the world of sports. The wide world of sports. So we say, the, uh, you know, I work in the world of finance or I work in the, the world of, of politics. We could go on with that same type. That, that doesn't mean there's a separate physical world. It's simply talking about an, an, organizi- uh, an organization or a system. And if you think about this, the Bible tells us that Satan has a, has a, is, is the prince of the world, doesn't it? It says he is the prince of the dark ages, and he is a prince of the world. Now, that doesn't mean he's a prince of the earth. It doesn't mean he's the prince of, of God's created humans. So what does it mean? It means he is the prince of the worldly system. We might use the term today, worldview. You may have heard that term. What is someone's worldview? In other words, it's talking about not the world itself physically, but it's talking about a, a system of values. It's talking about our, our thoughts. It's talking about the, the worldly system. And if we go back to what I said a while ago, our, our media and, and our world, they, they jade us against, against Christ, don't they? The, the world leads us away from Christ. You know why? That's a worldly system. Who's over the worldly system? Satan is. So it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if Satan is going to kind of destroy what Christ is doing, he's going to do it through a worldview. He's going to do it through a worldly system. And as Christians, we're to reject that worldly system. John says here, do not love the world or anything of the world. And, and that third sense that he's talking about here, we're, we're a member of this world. We're, we're here on earth and, and, and we have a completely different set of values as Christians. So when we're reading this and, and being a part of the human world and not, uh, not the physical world, he's saying we need to be careful about the worldly system. And, and let's, let's go on. He gives an explanation there in verses 15 and 16. And he gives a kind of a threefold definition of the worldly system. 
and these pressures that we have. And, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis in just a moment. But I want you to listen to these three things that, that John explains are the pressures of the worldly system or this system that, that Satan's over, and when he talks about loving the world, and this description is, is this. He says, the lust of the flesh, that's, that's physical pressure. We're going to talk more about those in just a minute. The lust of the eyes, that's mental pressure, and the pride of life, that's spiritual pressure. So these three things John is dealing with, he's dealing with physical pressure, mental pressure, <coughs> and spiritual pressure. He says when we're Christians, we're going to have these pressures. And they're coming from the worldly view. They're coming from the worldly system. And here's the first one, the, the lust of the flesh. Paul gives the ideal of flesh in Galatians five nineteen and 20. I want you to listen to what it says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousness, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we read that while ago, I want you to, I want to, I want you to go back in your mind, and when I said... When I said sensual pleasures, or when I said fleshly pleasures, what do we normally think of? You don't have to answer that, but we probably think of some kind of sexual desire. That's usually what comes to the first, our first thought. So if we read that and we say, well, I don't, I don't necessarily deal with that problem that much, then we could say, well, I've got that, I've got that taken care of. But Paul takes it on farther, don't he? He says... He lists these things, and I'm not going to read them again, but go to Galatians 5, 19 and 21, and he lists a whole system of things that are worldly desires. I mean, he talks about envy, he talks about division, he talks about outbursts of anger and selfish ambition, and, and all of those things, those are, those are desires of the flesh. Those are something that when we have a new nature within us, Paul and John also is saying, hey, we need to put away that old nature. So when we think about these things, and he's saying these, these good-natured desires, when we take them to an extreme, when we go overboard with those things, any desire is sinful that leads us away from Christ. So, so he says there's lust of the flesh. And I'm going to give you some examples of this time. It's, it's kind of the carrot that the world holds out in front of us that says, hey, look, look what I have to offer you. And, and all of a sudden, we begin to focus on that carrot, and we, we begin to run after the, the lust of the flesh, the things that, that we have a desire for, and those things become more important to us than Christ. Here's the, here, here's the second thing, the, the lust of the eyes. That's this, this greedy craving. So if you want to have a definition there, it's kind of a, a greediness and a, and a craving for something. It, it's something that we would see. It, it's, it's something that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, they, they both have to do with desire that, that we don't presently have something. So, so we begin to look around and, and that, that, that lust of the eyes, that craving that says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run after those things at all costs. That, that's, my, that's my desire. That's my driving principle. And the third thing he says here is the pride of life. The, the pride of life is in, in, in what one has or what one does. Let, let me explain it this way. It's the point when someone comes to their life. I always use this same example. If y'all watch Shenandoah, 
And, and y'all, remember, y'all remember that movie, and I realize I'm getting old, and, and uh, I'm up there in the concession stand talking to this guy that's working there, and I start talking about something, and he's just looking at me like, what are you talking about? And, and I said, well, surely you've seen that. Oh, I don't even know what that is. I was talking about some movie that we all grew up watching, you know. And so if you haven't watched Shenandoah, it's a timeless classic, isn't it? But, but think about in that movie, at one point, Jimmy Stewart is sitting there with his family, and he's praying, and all his sons are gathered around, and they're all praying, and, and he prays some kind of prayer like, Lord, I want to thank you for, uh, for all that we have. And then he goes into this long speech about, we planted it, we watered it, we hold it, we harvested it. If it wasn't for us, we wouldn't have any of it. And he goes into this long thing explaining why he's arrived, that pride of life. God, I'm proud of what I have, and I've arrived, and I don't really need you anymore. That's what John's talking about. He's talking about that, that notion that we're not dependent on God any longer. In other words, we, we've arrived at where we need to be. And, and when we look around, we, we look at ourselves and we say, Hey, I'm here. I'm to that point of life. And, and God, I'm, I'm going to be equal with you now. So that's what John is talking about is he lays these three things out. Now let me give you an example that, that kind of opens our eyes to these three temptations. You know what? There's nothing new under heaven, is there? And from the beginning of time, Satan's been using the same old things. It's important for us, and I hope you're not bored this morning. I, w- I was just thinking sometimes I, I've come and I've listened to preachers and I just get lost and I'm just thinking, well, we've got about 15 or 20 more minutes and I'm ready to get out of here. But, but I want you to recognize something this morning that Satan does that's never changed. And we're going to Genesis chapter 3 from the very beginning. Now the serpent, we're starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, said to the woman, God, has God indeed said that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of any trees of the garden, but the tree of fruit of, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it or you shall not touch it lest you shall die. In verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God. And you'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for the food, that's lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's lust of the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise like God. That's, lo- that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband that was there with her. And he ate. So, so we see from the very beginning what is Satan doing. He's taking that worldview. He's taking that worldly system. And he's going before us and he's saying, Hey, lust of the flesh. Hey, this is going to be pleasing. You have all of these other things you can eat from, but boy, look at that. When y'all go to buy fruit at the, at, at, at the fruit stand or in the grocery store, what do you look for? You know what they do? They take them apples and they polish them and they put stuff on them because why? You take an old apple over here that was grown out here on Fred's farm and, and it's laying there and it's kind of dingy looking, what are you going to do? You're going to push it aside 
You're going to look around. Boy, they take that corn and they pull that back and it's nice and yellow. And if you've got a piece that's still got the husk on it and it's all dry, you're not even going to look at it, are you? Well, that's what Satan did. He said, you know, you can eat of all that other stuff, but man, look at this one. I mean, think about this. This is what you need. This is going to, this is going to fulfill your hunger. This is, this is going to feed you that, that lust of the flesh. And then those lust of the eyes. He said, look how pleasing this is. Man, this is going to bring you pleasure. This this is really what you need to find what you're looking for. And then the pride of life. Hey, hey, it it lusts of the flesh. It it looks good. It's going to be something pleasing. The lust of the eyes, it's all that you've ever wanted. And on top of that, you're going to be as wise as God. I mean, that's, that's his temptation. That's, what, that's how Satan attacks us. We see that same thing when Christ was led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. He hadn't eaten. You hear that? For 40 days. Some of us can't wait for 10 more minutes where we can go eat. For 40 days and 40 nights. Christ is there. He, he's being tempted by Satan. And, and Satan comes in Matthew chapter 4. And we're not going to read 1 through 11. But, but listen to what Satan says. Command these stones to become bread. Lust of the flesh. Christ, command these stones and your hungers will be met. Command these stones, the lust of the flesh, and, and you'll be filled. Then Satan showed him all the kingdom of the world... And all of the glories of the world. Who's the ruler of the world? Satan is. And he says, God, Jesus, I'll give you all of these things. I'll turn them all over to you. Lust of the eyes. Look at the beauty of the world. Look at all the things of the world. I'm the ruler of this world. And and Christ, I'll give them to you. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give them to you. And then he says this, on those pride of life, you can own all of these things. They'll all be yours. Everything your heart wants, everything your eyes can see, I'm going to give them to you. See, that's, that's Satan. He even came before Christ. And he used that same temptation that he still uses today with us. He used that same temptation of Adam and Eve. And, and today, John says, we need to recognize our sins are forgiven. And God has forgiven our sins, our past sins, our present sins, the sins that are, come, are to come. But we need to be aware and we need to stand up and, and be aware of the things of the world. Those temptations that, that the world puts before us. Here's the third reason not to love the world. And this is where we're going to close in just a moment. John gives us two solid reasons here. He, he, he encourages us. He says, hey, there's, there's, there's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and, and those are things of the world, and we need to be aware of those things, that Satan's going to attack us. He's going to tempt us with those things. Now, here's the reason not to. Here's the, here's the reasons not to love the world, and that's found in verses 15 through 17. The, the, the love of the world, it excludes the love of the Father. Did you hear that? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. You know what worldliness is? Worldliness is a matter of our heart. Worldliness is, is who are we? What does our heart desire? What do what, what we move forward and, and John's explaining that this worldly system today, the Father is not in that. 
And when we turn our eyes and we turn our attention and, and we begin to love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. In other words, we've turned our love over not to the Father, but to the world. So John's saying that. Now, does that mean we're lost? No, it doesn't mean we're lost. It means we're robbing God of the love that He desires from us. And the way we're doing that is we're robbing God. Instead of giving our love to Him, we're giving our love to the world. You know, the Bible talks about, uh, in, in Revelation, it talks about the church prostituting herself to the world. You know what that's talking about? That's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about someone like a husband and a wife. And a husband has a wife and he's to love the wife. We're the bride of Christ and we're to love Christ. Well, when that husband begins to look towards another and he begins to give his attention to the other, then we've turned our back on our first love. That's what Christ says. And when we as Christians, when we begin to love the world... We're robbing God of the love that He desires and that He deserves from us. And we begin to turn our affections to things of the world. That's what John is saying. That's the reason we should not love the world, because we're robbing God of that, world, of that love that He desires. He says in Matthew 6.24 that nobody can serve two masters. Either he'll love one and hate the other, or he'll hate one and love the other. And then he says... You can't serve God and everybody says money. Well, that's not what the word means. The world means, that word means worldly things. It says mammon, but it, it means worldly things. We can't love God and we can't have our affection on worldly things. Does that mean we're not to have anything? Of course not. We're to have things. We're, we're to have an abundant life. God wants to bless us. He wants to give us things of the, of the world, but we're not, that's not to bear our desire of our heart. He gives us those things that we might be about His business. We might use His blessings that He's given us to, to bring glory to Him. And here's the last reason John gives us. The reason we're not to love this world is, is you know what? This world is temporary. It, it's just a fleeting thing. Verse 17, And this world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, he abides forever. You know, that, that's, a, that's an exclamation mark. Folks, when we put our love in the things of the world, you know what? It's just going to go away. And when you look back at your life, and, and if, you're, if you're over probably about 40 or so, I don't know where the age is, at some point you look back and go, where did time go? Don't you? I mean, you look back and think, man, I'm 53 years old. You know, where, where did that go? I just got out of high school the other day. I, that's a long story, but I don't have a long time. John's wrote me into coaching Little League. And uh, one kid said, how old are you? And I said, 53. And he went, ooh, you're old. <laughs> and little Colt Conley said, he's not old. <laughs> I said, thank you, I'm not old. But, but you know, where does time go? And folks, when it comes to serving the Lord, we look up and, and when we place our trust and we placed all our hope in the world, Christ says, it's fleeting. It's leaving. It's going away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Second Peter 3.10, the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And both, both on earth, the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought we to be in holy conduct 
and godliness. This world's on its way out, folks. And based on that certain knowledge, this world's not going to last. Uh, it's ultimately foolishness to pin our hope on a worldly system. That's, ultimately, that's foolishness because those things are passing away. When we pin our hopes on worldliness, we're kind of like passengers on the Titanic. You know, the ride's fun, but it's going to end a lot quicker than we thought. And that's really true. As Christians, we're to live in this world physically, but we're kind of to live in this world like scuba divers. You know what? We're, 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 we're going to survive in an alien environment. But, but we have to be careful because we can't, we can't have the a luxury of being careless. You know, if you're, if you're 30 feet under the sea, you, you're going to live, you're going to survive in a, a foreign environment, but, but, but you have to dive carefully not carelessly, and, and John's encouraging us that we continue to develop our position, we continue to grow in Christ, we continue to be more like Christ, and at one point we're going to realize that, you know what, it's about the Father, and not that we arrive at that point, but when we understand it's about the Father, then we understand and we begin to see the tricks of Satan, the, the, the Bible calls it the, the, the fiery darts of Satan and the, and the stumbling blocks that he puts before us. Let's bow our heads together this morning. And Father, I pray this morning as we just consider who we are in you, I pray, Lord, that we would leave here this morning with joy in our hearts as born-again Christians knowing that our sins are forgiven. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to fret over it. But Father, we know that my sins, not in part, but the whole, have been nailed to the cross, and we bear them no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And Father, I pray that when we come to that realization of knowing that our sins are forgiven, we bear them no more, that, Christ, we would look towards growing in you. Father, we wouldn't be satisfied with our fire insurance, but, Lord, we would look for more. We would look for a deeper walk, a deeper understanding. We wouldn't remain babes in Christ, desiring milk, but, Father, we'd be looking for the meat of your word. Father, I pray that we'd know this world and this worldly system, it lures us away from you. Satan, the prince of this world, he uses whatever he can to draw us away from you. Father, I pray this morning, as John has done for this church, and, Father, as we this morning study... Uh, this church that John is writing, Lord, that we would be aware of Satan who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking that which he can devour. I pray that we would know that today Satan would desire to dangle that carrot in front of us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But, Father, we would withstand. We would grow in you. And, Father, through that, those little steps we'd be reaching that point of fatherhood, that point of maturity in you. Lord, I pray this morning, if there'd be any here that don't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord. I pray that your spirit would move within their heart, and Lord, that you'd lead them to that point of making that personal profession in you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.